Peace be with you. Thank you. Well, we're continuing in Lent. Overcome the world, resist the devil, fight the flesh. And this morning, I'm not sure what you brought with you. I don't know what grabbed on to you this week and hasn't let go yet. I'm not even sure what grabbed on to you years ago and is still holding on. But my guess is that many of us, like myself, have some things that linger, narratives that we continue to live or listen to, wrestle with, resist, fight, or give into. And my prayer today is that as you continue to step into Lent, that you would find yourself beginning to be a little bit lighter, more free from the things that don't belong. Because the reality is we go about our way and we step into some stuff and it, it carries, it, it tags along. Sometimes we don't even know it. It's just stuff we're digesting, we're taking part in. Sometimes we're oblivious to it. Sometimes the things that we're in, we're not even, we don't even know if it's good or it's bad. We can't tell the difference. Sometimes the choices we make are like that as well. And that's why we are in Lent, because we recognize that Jesus himself stepped into Lent, that what happened at Lent was Jesus, as we looked at in week one, was led by the Spirit to fight the devil. That's what the text tells us, that our God, who entered into our world, then stepped into the world of the devil to fight him. And our confession right alongside this as a church, surprising or not surprising, I don't know, is that we believe that the devil is real. And I hope I don't have to say it. I don't know that the devil's walking around with, you know, some costume-like thing on. I'm not even convinced he's slithering around the ground like a snake or a talking serpent. But I'm convinced that the devil is real. And here's the thing. All of human history up until really the modern age in every culture and every language in some form or another has a name or a figure that represents the devil. And sure, it could be tempting in our modern mind to think for a second, well, they were just, you know, dumb. I don't think so. I want to venture to say that all of human history had as much reasoning capacity as you, much experience on the ground working through life as you. The difference in our modern convenience is perhaps that the devil's more real than the devil's ever been. Because we've entertained the idea now that maybe the devil's not really the devil. Maybe there is no devil. In the usual suspects, Kaiser Sose says, nobody believed he was real. That was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world 
He didn't exist. That's a temptation. Have any of you bumped into the devil at the barber shop? Driftwood coffee, maybe? Where's this devil we speak of? The writers of the scriptures confessed there was a devil. James, in chapter 4 of James, verse 7 and 8, this is what we read. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, James understood something. There was a very real reality playing out in his world. And in the world of James, the world of the New Testament, not only was God close at hand, but so was the devil. So close that we had to actively choose to surrender ourselves to one while simultaneously resisting the other. And I want to encourage you to think for a second, what are the things that you are surrendering to and what are the things that you are resisting? Can you tell up from down? Do you know the truth from the lie? Or are you like so many of us trying to discern between what you would think would be obvious but maybe isn't? Do you ever find yourself just unsure? Constantly in the space of not knowing? Wanting to know the right next step? Or if you, or if you have just done what was good or, or bad? Like, like you're in this place of constant question. What's the truth? What's the lie? What is it about that space? Where have we gone that we've lost our capacity, <coughs> excuse me, to know the difference? What happened in our world? What entered into our mind? What embedded itself in our flesh? What normalized itself in our society that we accustom ourselves to that allowed us to no longer know? And this is what James is challenging us with. If you don't actively surrender to God, and, submit, and, and resist the devil. Up from down will not be so clear, but it's not just your actions and what you do that we live in question with. We don't even know who we are anymore or what we are or where we are. How many of you feel out of place? How many of you feel at times not at home? Like you're dislocated or you don't belong. Wondering how you got here, whatever here is. How many of you, from time to th time, think the entire world has gone crazy? Only to realize, uh-oh. Perhaps I've gone a little mad too. We live in... In, in a cognitive dissonance 
with what is. As followers of Jesus, we're called to a practice, we're called to a way, we're called to a spirit of God, we're called to the values of Jesus, the guidelines of the kingdom, we're called to a clear and tangible space, and yet we can't tell if we're there or not. Peter writes in his first letter, writes to the people of God, and it's interesting to me how he phrases it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and Peoria, Arizona. Exiles scattered. Do you know what an exile is? It's the cognitive minority in a culture or space where your way is constantly under the pressure of assimilating to the other many ways. It's in that space that we begin to lose tangible of who we are, what we are, where we are, and give ourselves over to the world around us. Before we know it, we're just swimming in the ocean as Pastor Eric talked about last week. And Jesus saw this. This is why he comes into our world and chooses to step into the wilderness wandering. Because he knows that we are a vulnerable people. He knows that we have chosen autonomy and in that autonomy, we've lost what was naturally ours, our union, our knowing. And by knowing, I don't just mean cognitive. I mean the intimacy, the, the experiential knowing of God that we once had in fullness. Jesus knew, just as Peter knew, that we were in danger of losing ourselves to the larger norms. He knew that our desires and our thoughts were susceptible to Babylon. This is why we need Lent. We're, we're 26 days into Lent, by the way. 26 days ago, we invited each and every one of you to enter in with intentionality into the space of surrendering the things that have grabbed a hold of you, surrendering the things that have mixed themselves into your thinking, to allow yourself to be at a place where, where those things get exposed. Where we battle with the devil. Where we know that we are being devoured and so we choose to go to a place where those things no longer get to have their way. And I'm just curious, how's it going? Do, do you feel like you've stepped into it, that you've resisted the normalcy of the way things were? 
that you've allowed yourself to step into the true self of living with God and letting Him be enough? Or are the many things continuing to have their way? To have influence, to speak into? Do you continue to give ear to the voice of the enemy? 26 days in. And while you might be going, hey, I'm not even a day in, I'll be honest. That's okay. You can start right now. But make no mistake that if Jesus had to resist the devil, you will too. The wilderness is designed to bring out the demons. As you choose not to give in to those things, they fight back, they push back, they wield their invisible power, and you feel it. You sense it deep in yourself. How many times have you been at the crossroad of, I'm not sure, but I just, or I, I just can't right now, but I will later. What is the power in you that is resisting freedom? What is the force at play in your thinking that's keeping you from choosing to say no? And this is where the enemy gets in. The enemy embeds ourself in our thought life through deceptive ideas. <coughs> So in Lent, we surrender to God and resist the devil. And little by little, two things are revealed. One it, the thing that is revealed is the lie that we allow ourselves to live. And the second is the truth that the lie is hiding. As we go deeper, little by little, into Lent, as we, as challenging as it is, resist and say no, the lie gets exposed. We can all easily say, yeah, I struggle, I totally, I struggle, but we don't always know why. If you're in Lent, this is how you know. You're beginning to know exactly why you struggle. Because the more you press into the wilderness, the more you choose to say no to the things that want to rule you and control you, the more they become clearly exposed for what they are. Their ugly face and bony little fingers show up in all sorts of ways, all sorts of symptoms. But don't confuse the symptom for the thing itself. Keep pressing on. Choose Jesus Christ. Choose the truth. Let the truth liberate you from the lie. We need that in order to detangle ourselves from all the things. And Jesus knew that. And this is the beauty of the wilderness. While it's counterintuitive, it's there that we are liberated. And if you think it's hard, you're right, it is hard. Even Jesus experienced struggle and temptation there. But where does that story end? The devil flees. 
And Jesus is ministered to and fed by the angels. And you don't have to do Lent alone. You have every person in the room that's been invited to do it with you. You need to have people in your life that you can chain yourself to because they're going to reveal the truth. They're going to not let you live the lie. The second thing, not just the lie that gets exposed, but the most necessary thing in your life gets revealed. The most important thing in your life gets revealed. And maybe you haven't been able to put your thumb on that yet. But that's the burning question that emerges through the wilderness wandering of Lent, is what is truly necessary as you prune yourself from the attachments, the things that have strongholds on you, you find that they are no longer necessary. While they once were, they are not any longer. And the question begins to emerge, what is actually necessary? And I want you to think about that for a moment. What are you entertaining in your life that is a necessity that you must? What are you entertaining in your life that you really don't have to? What lies are you depending on to keep you hidden from God? And that's the reality of the lie, by the way. We live lies to hide from our true self, who we are in God. We live lies because we think that they're true when they're false. Because the real truth, for some of us, seems scarier than the lie. How easy is it for you to accept unconditional love? How easy is it for you to look at the face of God and see His eyes and see His hands place Himself on you and to see Him embrace you and hold you as, as, your, as, your, as His child? How easy is it for you to surrender into the agape love of God? Or is it difficult? Is it scary close? If it's hard for you, Lent is what you need. Because whatever is left of you at Lent will be all that Jesus needs to help you become precisely the one that he longs for you to be, and deep down you know that you are. Lent causes us to step back from all those things we've let in. And as we do so, we make room to go, in to go in ourselves, to enter into the interior space where who we are, it's not what we find on the surface, it's not the labels, it's not the skills, it's not the preferences or the identity markers it's none of that this is 
This is what Jesus was up against, right? Remember? What was the first thing spoken over him before he went into the wilderness? The Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And he said, this is my beloved son and whom I well please. But the devil doesn't want you to believe that. He wants you to, to entertain a lie. If I go back to John 8 again, I just, I just want to say this. You, this is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus' understanding of the enemy was that the enemy was deception. It's all the places of unknowing, because there's another force at play. Paul at one point says, you've exchanged the truth for the lie. He warns us of that. What is necessary? And as you ask that question, you will find that you've begun to resist the devil. Because the devil asks the same question in a similar form. He questions what you believe is necessary. Take note. I want to invite us in a bit of a contemplative manner to enter into Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read it just as it emerges from the text. But I want you to really hold these words and think about what they mean. So I'm going to read it kind of slow. And as I'm reading, I just also, just so you know, I'm praying in my spirit that God would speak to you, that you would see, that you would hear. Genesis 3, verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat, from, eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. How many times have you been at a place where a little idea was placed in your thinking? A question was placed there that altered what was to say, no, it's not really quite like that. This is the deception. This is the lie. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now notice what started as an idea has now begun, this, this false idea has begun to work itself into the flesh that her eyes now her flesh sees that it, it's good it's going to taste good it's going to be okay surely it won't kill us and these disordered desires begin to work themselves into a disordered flesh well everybody else is and they seem fine. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig trees, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve, who represent all of us, went from being in intimate union with God, from being at home to being at exile. They went from being at the place they were designed to be where who they are was clear, what they were was clear, whose they were was clear, and they could walk shamelessly with God. Think about it like when you were a little kid with your parents. You didn't have any choice but to, you just trusted them. You were naked all the time. And then something changed along the way. You, step, you removed yourself. You began to perceive them from the outside. Autonomy was chosen. And the second you chose that autonomy, you believed in the idea that I can do this on my own. I can figure it out or this way is better. Something devastating happens. You see, as they ate the fruit... It's not that they are being punished for their sins as much as it is that their sins are punishing them. They went from being at home in the garden to no longer knowing where they were. No longer feeling at home. They moved from their natural place in oneness with God to their unnatural state of hiding from God. And they did this hiding because they lived a lie that the devil whispered. They transgressed from their own heart, home, and their own truth. And rather than addressing this dissonance, they allowed the lived lie to continue to cover it up. And then we end with God coming among the trees of the garden they were hiding. But the Lord God called to you. Now hear this. 
where are you? We're going to go into communion. There's a table on each side of the stage. And the question that is emerging that God is asking of you, where are you? Are you in exile? Are you living outside of who you are in Christ? If so, it's time for you to step back in. And as we are in Lent, we are inviting one another to resist the lie, to fight the devil. Jesus sets the table for you. And he doesn't say, hey, just those of you who haven't figured out, come eat from this. He welcomes all to the table, even the deceiver. We see that when he invites Judas to the table. And so I want to encourage you to find another person or to go to the prayer corner to take communion. And as you do that, as you partake in the juice and the bread, you are participating in the truth the fact that your home is with God, not with the devil. As you go, you might have noticed along the way that there's resistance in you already. And I want to offer a prayer for you to help you We've been praying all week long for deliverance because we recognize that the devil's lies are easily picked up. And my hope is as you take communion and as you go to that prayer corner, that you make that an act of faith of resisting the devil. So I invite you to bow your heads and I want to pray and I encourage you to go to the communion table. Heavenly Father, we are your beloved children and out of that identity we turn and we say no more Satan, be gone. We ask you, God, to deliver us from the enemy. Free us from the lies. Help us to boldly step to your table to partake in what is ours because of what you've done and who you are. Any bondage that exists in the that are continued to entertain God we cast it before you we ask you for help set us free set us free in your holy name